Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7. The sermon passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Following the reading of God's Word, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand to hear God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him, went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent his friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed." For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. A number of years ago, I heard a story of a pastor who had counseled a young woman who had recently been broken up with by her boyfriend. The pastor was telling her that she had immeasurable worth and value before God, but the young woman said, oh, I know that I have value before God, but my boyfriend thinks I'm worthless, and so really, what does that, what does that do for me? The pastor real, realized that she was living a kind of contradiction. She had true faith, but that faith really meant nothing to her. The value that she had before God really meant nothing to her at the heart level. This passage this morning tells us of a great statement by Jesus. He says that he has not found such great faith in all of Israel. That is a remarkable statement, a remarkable praise that Jesus gives this man. He's not found such great faith in all of Israel. And yet, at the heart of this passage is an apparent contradiction. The apparent contradiction is this. Here you have a Roman centurion powerful man, charge of 100 100 people, and his servant is in need. When he goes to Jesus, he sends elders to Jesus. The elders say, this man deserves to have you do this. He's worthy. But then when he sends some other people to talk to Jesus, his words are, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to have you come under the roof of my house. Don't you see the apparent contradiction here? The elders say he's worthy. He says, I'm not worthy. Which is it? Is he worthy or is he not worthy? 
I want you to be a man or a woman of great faith. But in order for that to happen, you need to know, are you worthy or are you not worthy? That's the question I want us to answer by looking at these statements that the Jewish elders make, the statement that this Roman centurion makes, and the statement that Jesus makes, that he has not found such great faith in all of Israel. Lest you think that this is just a biblical question or a theological question, consider this. There's a contradiction in our culture today. We have thousands, maybe tens of thousands of self-help books that all scream and shout at us, you're worthy. You have nothing that needs to be changed about you. You're worthy just the way that you are. But the contradiction is that the statistics say we have more people who are harming themselves who live self-destructive lifestyles, who maybe seek to take their own life, or who seek to have life-altering surgeries that they can never repair or, or fix. We have more people saying we're worthy and less people thinking that they actually are worth something than ever before. Many people out there think that they're worthless. So let's examine the passage The elders come to Jesus and say, in verse 4, about this Roman centurion, this man deserves to have you do this. Consider what this meant. The Romans were hated by the Jewish people. They had occupied the land of Israel. They were responsible for enforcing laws that the Jewish people thought were unjust. They were hated. The elders of Israel... In particular, the ones in authority. They're the ones who actually think this man has a good reputation. That's strange. That's unusual. That even the so-called enemies of the Romans would speak highly of this man. And what do they say? They say he deserves this because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. That means at least that he was a very generous man. Perhaps it means this Roman centurion was a God-fearing Gentile who was longing for the restoration of Israel. I want to also say right off the bat that the idea of worthiness is one that is found not not only in religions, but all over the world. But consider this. One of the big questions of the Reformation was the nature of our works and worthiness before God. Luther, in his 62nd thesis that he posted in the 95 Theses, says that he's speaking of the treasury of merits. There was this idea that there was a kind of treasure of merits that you could contribute to. And he said the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel and the glory and the grace of God. In the catechism of the Catholic Church, not to pick on them, this is what they say. And this treasury includes the prayers and good works of the Virgin Mary. They're immense, unfathomable, pristine in their value before God. In the treasury, too, are the prayers and good works of all the saints, those who followed in the footsteps of Christ and who have made their lives holy and carried out the mission that the Father entrusted to them, in this way they attained their own salvation. At the very least, that statement is unclear about how exactly are we worthy. 
In other religions, 1.8 billion people in Islam believe in tahwab or sahwab. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correct, but in merit or reward that accrues from good deeds and good works. They have to follow five different pillars, creed, prayer, giving to the poor, fasting on Ramadan, pilgrimage to Mecca. And all the while, the big question I have in any religious scheme is this, what assurance do you really have that when you die, you will be found worthy? What assurance do you have that you can be found worthy? Now, when this centurion comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes with a different message. He sends his friends. When he hears that Jesus is coming, he sends some friends with a different message. And the message is this, verse 6, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I, didn't, I did not even consider myself worthy even to come to you. The question I have is, why would he say that? Consider all the reasons that he has in his life to think of himself as worthy. He's a Roman citizen, highly prized. He's a man of great power, power over a hundred men. He's respected in society. Everyone speaks well of him. Nobody, no one was telling him that he was unworthy in his life. He had all the reasons to think that he was worthy. He had built a synagogue. He was generous. Even his enemies spoke well of him. So why did he say he's unworthy? I think he must have had a deeply rooted belief in his own sinfulness and his own inadequacy to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, writing on this passage, says this, you are much more sinful than you think you are, much more unworthy than you yet know yourself to be. I desire you to look upon this disease of sin as though it were not skin deep. It lies in the source and fountain of your life and poisons your heart. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is all of Christ. And that makes a real difference in how you live your life. It makes a real difference when you undergo suffering and pain. Exactly what you believe to be true about Jesus. One of my heroes was J. Gresham Machen. And Machen in 1937, he, the January 1st of 1937, he died of pneumonia when he was in North Dakota. And his last telegram he sent to John Murray, who was also a great theologian and man of faith, he said, on his deathbed, thank God for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. What did he mean by that? He meant the merits of Jesus, his obedience, his perfect obedience. And that's why Machen on his deathbed could die with great assurance. He could die in peace, knowing that he was resting not in his own worthiness, but in the merits of Jesus. Or put it differently, consider the parable of the prodigal son. Because the older son 
when the younger son comes back after he's squandered his father's wealth, and he comes back and he gets a party with a fattened calf slaughtered, what does the older son say? All these years, father, I've slaved for you, and you never slaughtered a fattened calf for me. I've never disobeyed you. What is he saying? I have merit. Look at my worth. Look at my worthiness. And at the end of the parable, he doesn't have a real good relationship with his father. But the younger son who comes to him and he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've squandered your wealth and wild living. I'm not worthy to be called your son. It's that son who has a relationship with the father. Consider that Jesus Christ says of this man that he has not seen such great faith, in verse 9, in all of Israel. That's a high praise. And that means that at least this man has not only a belief in his own worthiness, but he also recognizes that in spite of his own power and status in society, he's willing to come to Christ for help. He's willing to humble himself. Consider it might have been a humiliating thing for this man, a Roman centurion, to seek the aid and help of Jesus. You had to have at least a little humility to ask. I think that it shows us this great principle. This man considered himself to be unworthy and yet considered Jesus to be of infinite worth. The principle goes like this, that the higher that you think of your own worthiness, the less you will think of Jesus Christ. And the less you think of your own worthiness, logically, it leads you to believe in the worthiness of Christ as the only way to cover your sins. Or to put it differently, if you consider yourself to be not in need, you don't have a lot of needs then you probably think, will think very little of Jesus. You probably won't even come. But if you consider yourself to be in great need and you know yourself to be in great need, then you will seek the help of Christ. Many people say today, I am worthy. And those are usually the people who ask Jesus for signs or they come to God with a list of demands. Remember when the Pharisees come to Jesus in Matthew 16? What, is, what, what, is, what do they say? They say, show us a sign that you're the Messiah. And Jesus responds, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But the people who know that they are unworthy, they're the ones who reach out and lay hold of Christ by faith. Now, When I say that you have to know that you are unworthy, that's an essential element of saving faith. You have to know you're unworthy. I don't mean that you're worthless. That's a distinction you have to know. It's a distinction that many people don't make. There is such a a thing as thinking yourself so unworthy that you're worthless. And sometimes that leads people towards self-hatred or hurting themselves or being overly introspective or being so down on yourself that you don't look at Christ. But for every look that you take at yourself in your own unworthiness, you need to take 10 looks at Jesus 
to remember who it is that is the object of your faith. When do people get a sense of their own unworthiness? It's usually when they are in a moment of weakness. They have to go to the hospital or they're convicted of a crime which they committed and they have to go to prison or there's a tragedy in the family or they're powerless to help themselves and restore certain relationships. That's usually the people who know that they need God. Those are the people who look out and lay hold of Christ. Here's the second thing that this man has. He he knows he's unworthy, but he also knows this, that Jesus Christ has the power to save and heal. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. He says, even though he knows he's unworthy, consider this, he doesn't consider himself to be worthless. He still comes humbly with a request. And the request is bold, a bold request. Many people go to Jesus and want to reach out and touch him. Many people ask to see him or or do certain miracles. But this man, all that he says is this, simply say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. That's remarkable faith. I think that's what Jesus is looking at when he says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. It's hard for me to know the content of this man's faith. We're not really told exactly everything that he believes about Jesus. But I think that he knew what the writer of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews said, that Jesus Christ lived the power of an indestructible life. Here's a man, a Roman centurion, who has all kinds of power, but he's in need. He, he doesn't have the power to heal his servant. So he reaches out and he lays hold of the only person that can heal him. And he comes boldly to the throne of grace. Just say the word. And remarkably, Jesus does. We are told that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save to the uttermost. And what The Apostle Paul and other writers of Scripture want you to know is that Jesus Christ is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. This is a remarkable, a remarkable act of real faith. Let me put it in a different perspective, which I hope is appropriate to use this example. It's one of extreme suffering. This past week, I heard a story of a young, uh, young man. He's now, I think, in his 20s. No connection to our church, no, nothing to do with anyone here. But 20-some-odd years ago, his parents were faced with this decision that they were pregnant, and the doctor came to them and said that he was going to be born with a significant deformity that would affect his overall life. And when he was born, I won't go into all the details, but... He had a bodily deformity that would significantly affect the quality of his life and his ability to function in society. And the reason I bring this up is to say, if those are the cards that you are dealt with in life, it didn't affect his cognition. How do you get a sense of worth? How do you know you're valuable? Well, you can't go to society because the world doesn't think that you are valuable. And you can't go to 
necessarily friends. You might have some friends, but you can't, you can't go through it in, through social means. And through your parents, he had two marvelous and loving, wonderful parents. You can get, that goes a long way, a long way. But ultimately, where do you get a sense of worth? You only get it from God. You have to go to God and recognize that before him, even though the world says otherwise, you are, in fact, worth something. You are immensely valuable. Where do you see that? Before I get there, let me just say this. I think people who have gone through such great suffering have something to offer us. Why? Because they know they are not worthy. They know they don't bring anything to the table. It's remarkable that this centurion, everybody thought he was worthy, and yet his faith told him that he was not. People who've been through great suffering know that they've been stripped of everything that they could bring before God and boast about. So here's how you can know that God values you. It's this, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were enemies of God, nonetheless, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. When Jesus Christ, when the Son of God humbled himself and clothed himself in flesh, even though he was the Son of God, he humbled himself. You see? Not because you were worthy, not because you brought anything to the table, but because he loved you and valued you. And when you look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to see the great exchange that happens. It has everything to do with worthiness. It goes like this. The exchange goes like this. Jesus gets all of our sin, all of our failures and weaknesses. He gets the wrath of God. And in turn, through faith in him, we get his obedience and righteousness even though we don't deserve it. Why would he do that for you? Not because you had worthiness, but because you had worth. He loved you that much. He suffered to the uttermost. He lived to the uttermost. He obeyed to the uttermost. And therefore, he saved to the uttermost. Therefore, he loves you to the uttermost. And when life gets tough and you go through tragedy. That's how you have an anchor for your soul. You come boldly to the throne of grace. You can ask big, big requests, not demands, not demands. This Roman centurion asks for a big request, but he, but he does so humbly. <laughs> he does so with faith, not a demand, recognizing that he's unworthy. I want you to have the kind of boldness that he had. I want you to have the kind of faith. I want you to know that simultaneously you're not worthy, but because Christ has sacrificed his life for you, you have infinite worth. Do you know that? Praise God for the active obedience of Jesus Christ. There is no hope without that. Rest assured that you have great value to him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who rescues and saves to the uttermost. You've asked us to come boldly to the throne of grace, even though we are unworthy. We thank you for the tremendous assurance that we have in the full obedience and satisfaction of Jesus Christ, that he lived and obeyed your laws to the uttermost, and therefore we can have assurance to the uttermost. We praise you that even though we have nothing to offer before you, you still saw us as worth dying for by sending your son. Even though, Lord, we had nothing to offer, we praise you for grace, this great truth that though we are unworthy, yet through Christ you have made us worthy. We thank you for his obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Jesus' name, amen.